Yeah, there we are. So would you introduce yourselves to those here who are new and who don't know who you are? Would you do a quick intro? Sure. We're um, Mark and Mary Esther, and we've been working in Japan in sign language Bible translation for about 36 years. Actually, both Mark and I are missionary kids from Japan. We grew up in Japan, so we didn't grow up attending 12th in Emporia. However, my mom's from a town called Inman. So if you go from Emporia West and out to McPherson and then down a bit on the diagonal, you'll end up in Inman. So when I left high school after Japan and Mark and I got married, we lived in Kansas City. Whenever we'd go visit family out in Inman, we'd go through Emporia. Then when the time came for us to return to Japan as missionaries, and we were looking for people to pray with us and partner with us, and we went through Emporia, we found 12th. And what impressed us about 12th was here was a group of people that cared about the world. You cared about people around the world finding Jesus, and it was evidenced by your heart for international students right there in Emporia. So we're really thankful for the 38 years that we've been partnering together. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, well, 38 years. Hey, and this this time I've got you looking at the crowd instead of staring at my face, so I'm getting better at this. Uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry and what you do. Um, we've been working most of the time in sign language Bible translation. We've been in Japan working in the deaf community, spent a few years in church planting, a few years in leadership development, but it's hard to plant churches, do evangelism, train leaders if they don't have a Bible they can understand. So the first question people ask is why? Because a deaf person, you can hand them a Bible, they should see it and read it. The problem is knowing the language you're reading. So you have international students among you, and you know it can be a real struggle to learn that second language. But what if the people who are trying to learn English had no access to sound, so they couldn't hear you talking? And in fact, what if they had never heard a spoken language ever in their lives? How hard would it be for them to learn English? and to learn to read. That's what it's like for a deaf person. They've never heard the language they're learning to read. So when they go to school and learn it, it's a second language in spades. So we began working on a sign language Bible translation, working with a deaf team. And if, if Karen, if you could show the picture, just so people know what a sign language Bible looks like. Um, yeah. I tried that first semester and it didn't work. So, okay, well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I can show you on my uh, screen. Basically, it's you know, an app. You choose where you want to start, where you want to finish. You hit select, and this is what you see. You see a face. You see a body. You see a person signing the word of God to you in your language that you can understand. And, you know, we used to do Bible study with people holding their Japanese Bibles and reading around in a circle. And you'd spend the whole Bible study time just trying to figure out what this means. Now you can look at it. And even the people who read poorly, 
because it's in their language. They can ask questions, they can interact, they can wonder what this is about, or they can say, oh, I think everybody's on the playing field. And it's just so exciting. What's exciting to me is when translation is finished, that's not the end, it's just the beginning. So when Mark and the team finish and publish and release some scripture, then I get to use that in a Japanese sign language Bible study right now we're working um, through John. And so I'll ask my friends, what did you want tell me, you know, this is what we studied. This is what we went over. And I was able to share it with a friend and share it on Zoom with a friend in a restricted access nation who was deaf. And so it's exciting that people can engage in the Bible and that engages in their heart and minds and changes lives. And that's really what the goal of Bible translation is. That's really cool, isn't it? How can we be praying for you guys? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is I just started a new job with United Bible Societies. Um, whenever I've been consulting, I've always focused on training the next people. So if I'm a translation consultant, then I'm training the next person who wants to learn how to be a translation consultant. So it's always been, you know, whether it's a Korean deaf person working in Thailand or a couple from, from mm -hmm. Hong Kong working in Thailand or Japanese people working in Japan, always trying to get that so this beard is getting grayer and grayer um, there's some there's some other people who are a lot farther down the road and if I can just get those people out there so pray for those people with the United Bible Societies, there are translation consultants. They've been working with text for decades, some of them, but they're trying to figure out, well, how do you check a video? So working with them, doing training, doing mentoring, uh, like get, I get to actually do consulting with them on some projects to help launch them. So that's just been really exciting. So pray for those new people who are coming up and starting to get involved with, it's not just Japan anymore, it's a worldwide um, movement of deaf people taking ownership of their languages and saying, we want the Bible in our language. So definitely pray for those people. I'd ask for prayer for the Japanese Bible Translation Project annual board meeting, which is going to be on the 20th. So that's just coming right up. They're going to be making decisions for big picture long term, and they need wisdom for that. Also, right now they're working on Ezra and Obadiah, but when those books are finished, what are they going to do next? So even those kind of decisions will be made on the 20th. So pray for wisdom and discernment for the leaders. Um, as for our family personally, many of you have been praying for our son, Daniel. And we are so thankful that God brought us back to the state before COVID started. And speaking of COVID, Mark now is not able to travel like he did before. And so instead of going and spending a couple of weeks with the various teams and consulting that way, he does it from his desk here at home. So he will be dealing with Asia in the evening, starting sometimes eight at night. And the next morning, sometimes at five, he starts in with Europe or Africa. 
And so he does the time zone jet lag without the jet involved. He just gets the, um, the crazy schedule. So pray for his health and uh, for him to be able to train well as he goes from time zone to time zone. And I lost my earbuds. Can you still hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. Through this, I think we want to pray for you guys. And we pray for pray for them. So, Father, we do lift up the needs that uh, that the pinners have. We pray again as they're getting the place in their life. They're really training the next generation of of people to come in and who can help with um, sign language translation. That you would be providing those labors again at your field, and you say to pray to you as the Lord of the the labor and the harvest to raise people up. Pray also for the board meeting that's coming up in a week, this week, I think, as I talk big, important things that you would be leading and guiding and your spirit would be showing them next steps to take. And also just pray for them and Daniel, as it appears he's in the latter stages of his life, that you would help them to walk that path with um, grace and give them the strength and the wisdom to do that well. We just long for you to bless this family. We love and care about them so much. And thank you for bringing, making them part of our missions family. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Good seeing you guys. Thanks for being here. Good day. Oh, hey, could we give them some applause really quick, by the way? Yeah, before I end that. So appreciate you guys. Okay, well, that one kind of worked. We've been, we've been on a learning curve with all the technology. Uh, so appreciate your patience with us because even for service, not everything worked exactly as we wanted. But you know what? Actually, it's, it's probably a good thing um, because I had said a year ago or a little over a year ago that we at 12, we don't have an IKEA spirituality. We're, you go to IKEA, right? And they have the perfect showcases where everything is exactly how it should be. And isn't it easy to live your faith that way, to feel like you have to look perfect to everybody? But none of us are. And we all know what COVID's like. Nothing works the way it's supposed to. Technology half the time, meetings don't happen, things change continually. So um, we, we live a fixer-upper spirituality because God is at work in our lives. There's lots of sawdust in my life. There's hammers and walls getting knocked down. And so it's okay that, we, that things don't always work, right? And that we can work happy. We're, we're content with all that. So... All right, we are continuing. We're second week into our theme on God's passion for the nations. Next week, Ken Shackelford will be here. I'm very excited about that. And so what I want to do is there's a sheet on uh, the chairs. And you know what? I actually didn't replenish those afterwards. If you're, if you're wanting one to take some notes, I know there's some that are back there by Melissa or Mark or somebody. So if you would like, like the note thing, Somehow, you can maybe go back and grab one. I see Michelle running to grab one. I even have some up here if you're brave enough to come all the way up here and get one. Um, but we're just considering, continuing our, to talk about God's mission to the nations. If you're online, we emailed that out on Friday. We're trying to send, if there's going to be something for you to print to take notes, to send that out on Friday for you guys. So just talking about, you know, we started last week with this whole thing of Disney's traditions that great companies make sure they inculcate in all of their new employees. It doesn't matter top to bottom what their core values are, their mission, so everybody is in alignment with them. 
And Disney does that with traditions. And so that's kind of what these few weeks are. It's that realigning or asking the question, what's God's mission in the world? What's his dream? So this is kind of a, a kingdom of God 101. And if you weren't here last week, just a quick, quick review, not spend a lot of time on this, but when we look at the story of God from beginning to end, from creation to corruption to restoration, through redemption, when you look at that story, um, there's a lot of threads in the Bible that run through that story that run from the beginning to the end. And we started last week that thread of, of the nations, and we followed it through the Old Testament, and we're going to take it through the end of the New Testament. But it's really cool how many themes start in Genesis and end in Revelation um, in God's story. And so that's what, we're gonna, that's what we're doing is we're looking at this thread of the nations. And if you remember when God, after the fall, that uh, when it wrecked everything and the humans broke the relationship with God, that his purpose after that really is nothing less than the restoration of the totality of his creation back to its original design. And what we saw is after the fall, um, in Genesis 3, from Genesis 4 to Genesis 11, there's just this, this downward spiral of humanity that culminates in Babel, where all of the people gather together in violation of a command in Genesis 1 to make a name for themselves. And as they're building this tower to heaven, that God comes down, and those who were gathered and spoke one language, He comes down, He divides their languages, and then they become scattered into the nations. And so Genesis 10 and 11 are very crucial in the Bible, because that's where God creates the nations. And in Acts 17, Paul says that God did that so they would reach out to Him. There was a purpose in the creation of the nations. And so He creates the nations, and he does that because he, don't, he not only wants to restore the totality of his creation to its original design, but the centerpiece of this restoration is God's mission of gathering himself people from every nation in order to create a covenant community of individuals who love and worship him. That's the centerpiece of it all. And so we looked at how God called Abraham, and from Abraham created a nation, and he created a nation to bless all nations, that that's a very significant event. That's chapter 12, right after Babel. God's beginning his plan to reach all nations, and his, his goal is that all nations would turn to him. That's, that's the end game. And we even asked the question last week, well, why create a nation? Why not just use Abraham, or why not just pick an individual? And it's because God's desire is to do his work through a community of people who love him and who worship him, who live under his reign. That's a very important part of his mission, is to create a community through whom he can carry out his purposes. And we live in a very individualistic society, and all we think about all the time is frequently is me and God, and what's God want me doing? He's, he is about calling individuals and saving individuals, but he's about creating a community that together that reaches out, because we as a community can do things that individually that I can't. So this idea is extremely important to him. And so he creates this nation, and we talked about Israel's purpose. And if you remember, there were three things. The number one, they were to be a model community to the nations. They were to display his splendor as they fought, walked in his ways and sought his renown. They were to display his splendor to attract the nations to him. They were to tell the nations about him. And the third purpose is they were to be the conduit for the Messiah, that the Messiah would come through that nation, the one who would bless all nations. But as we saw last week, sadly, Israel utterly failed, utterly failed in their calling. Ezekiel 36, 20, where God says, wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. All they did was profane his name. They didn't take his name, they didn't display it, but they profaned his name. And so we asked that question, was this going to stop the Lord from his mission, mission to reach all nations? And the answer to that was a resounding no. If you remember, he said in Isaiah 59, 19 of the Messiah that he will come, 
the Messiah will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. And then we saw when we finished in Isaiah 66, 18, that God himself says, I am about to come and gather the peoples of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory, says the Lord. So even though Israel had faltered, God would not be thwarted in his purposes for the nations. He was still on mission, and even though Israel did not do the things they were going to do, they would not stop God from bringing the Messiah through them. And so God, in a radical move, he took his mission into his own hands. God broke into history, taking on human form, to live and to die in order to bring all nations back to himself. And he did this through Jesus, the Messiah, whose name, if you remember, means God to the rescue. So God himself comes. And from the very beginning of the Gospels, uh, in Matthew chapter 2, you see there that, uh, I'm not going to read this, but the first people that God told that the Messiah's imminent, his coming was imminent, the first people that he told were not Israelites, but it was Magi from the east. Scholars guess they heard two years before because they had to get ready and start a journey to there. So the first people he told the Messiah is about here were people from other nations. In Luke 2, when an angel comes and announces the birth of Jesus the Messiah, he says, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people, right? Not just for Israelites, but for all people. And then eight days in, when they take him to the temple to be dedicated, uh, Mary and Joseph, they meet a man named Simon, Simon, who God had promised would see the Messiah before he died. And so it says, Simeon, not Simon, Simeon took Jesus into his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles or to the non-Jewish people. So from the very beginning, from cradle to cross, Jesus, his life was all about this mission of reaching the nations, of restoring all of creation, individuals being brought to himself and reaching nations. And everywhere he walked, everything he did, everything he said, this passion for the nations was this undercurrent in all of it. And I could give you a lot of examples, um, but just a few. Number one is he calls to himself 12 disciples, 12 men, that number being significant because there were 12 tribes in Israel. And this is an indication, I'm creating a new covenant community of people who are going to be on mission with me. In Matthew 8, when he meets a centurion who displays great faith in Jesus and Jesus heals his servant um, and his response to Jesus, Jesus, when he heard it, said this, he was astonished and he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith as this non-Israelite, this Roman. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places in the feast with Abraham. That's significant. He's the one called to, to, to bless all nations. With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. I love Luke the way he puts it. People will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom. When Jesus enters Jerusalem the week before his death and goes to the temple, we're told this in Mark. Only this gospel records this important detail. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of the, those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all we did this last week. For all what? For all nations. And again, the Greek word is ethnos, 
um, a much more fine-tuned than our word. It means an ethnic group, a group that has their own language, their own culture. It's, it's much smaller than a nation, the way we think of it. The nation of Pakistan is one nation with 347 ethnos or ethnic groups inside of it. The ethnos is who he wants to reach. And if, if I were to go back, by the way, I said this a few weeks ago, in Matthew 24, when Jesus talks about his coming again as king, there's a lot of things he says that people try to divine is at the times. A lot of it's controversial. Nobody knows exactly what it's talking about. There's one thing he says that's very clear. He says, this gospel will go to every ethnos, and then the end will come. So until every ethnic group has the ability to hear the good news of Jesus, um, in a way that's re replicable among those people. He will not come because he cares about every nation, every tribe, every language, and he will not stop on his mission to reach all of them. John 3, 6, he says, I'm the bread who gives life to the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he loved it in this way, that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. His mission, his passion is for all people of all nations. And in that death that John 3 talks about, he was offering himself up, Jesus, for the sins of the whole world. In 1 John 2, 2, it says he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And in Revelation 5, it says they sang a new song to Jesus you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and every ethnos. With his blood, he's already purchased people from every ethnic group. And in that death and resurrection, he was creating a new covenant community which is called, we call the church. He was creating through those 12, the church to be on mission with him. Again, because his desire is to do his work through a community of people, not just individuals, but through a community of people who love him, who worship him, and who live under his reign. That's always been what he was doing, was creating a community to carry out his purposes. And so unlike Israel, that old covenant community that was saved from slavery to Egypt, we are saved from slavery to sin and to Satan. And then we are given his Holy Spirit and save from that power and penalty of sin. Unlike Israel, that old covenant community who was given law, God's law written on stone, we're told, Ezekiel is promised in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, that God would send his spirit into our hearts, those who believe in him, and he would write his law on our hearts, put his spirit in us, transform us from the inside out. And unlike Israel, the old covenant community, which failed in its calling to be an instrument of taking God's blessing to the nations, this new community that he created called the church, we, will, we, we won't be perfect. It'll be three steps forward, two steps back, but we will, we will take part in that mission. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, he says, I will build my church upon this rock, upon myself, and the gates of hell, the defensive gates of hell, will not be able to stand against her. We will be used of God to complete his mission of reaching the nations. So Jesus ascends to heaven, and then he sent his spirit upon his church to empower her and to empower us to carry out his mission. And this event happened in Acts chapter 2. It's where the Spirit is sent upon them. It's what people call the birth of the church. 
And that's an extremely significant event. And I don't want you to miss the importance of Acts 2 in this storyline of the Bible. Um, Because if you remember, um, the nations are created at Babel, right? And right after Babel is when God calls Abraham. And through Abraham, he's creating this nation. And that whole connection with Babel is very significant. Because if you remember at Babel, those who were gathered and spoke one language, suddenly they spoke many languages and they were scattered. And what we see in Acts 2 at Pentecost is that those people who were scattered into nations, they, those who were scattered and spoke many languages, they hear as one and they're gathered into a new community as they believed in Jesus. And so what we have at Pentecost is the birth, in the birth of the church is the reversal of Babel. I think this is so cool. It is the reversal of Babel. It is him making significant progress on his mission to reach the nations. At Pentecost, we see the renewal of God's dream to build for himself a covenant community made up of people of all nations. He's finally building that new community that is going to be on mission with him. And we're told on that day, 3,000 people from many different nations believed in Jesus and gave themselves to him. I wanted to see that visually. Here's a map of the people who were there that day who accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. So at the very beginning of the church, it is already being made up of people from differing nations. Isn't that cool just to to visually look at that? And this new covenant community um, that's made up of all nations is what Paul was talking about in Colossians 3.11. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all. And in Galatians 3, a parallel passage, he said, you're all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus the Messiah. If you belong to him, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. That last sentence is really significant. We're Abraham's seed. What's he hearkening back to? He's hearkening back to his call of Abraham to eventually bless and reach all nations. And so that we who receive Jesus, who are not from that Jewish community, we are Abraham's heir. We're part of the blessing of the nations that God intended. And it was this new community, this church, made up of people of all nations, who were the ones who given the duty and the commission to carry out his mission. And so just as Israel, we are called to be a model community to the nations. We're called to be a model community. In Matthew 5, Jesus says this, and these are all plural in the Greek. He's not talking to individuals. He's talking to us as a church. You as a group are the salt of the earth. You as a group are the light of the world. Let your light as a group, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So as we live and love as a community filled with the spirit and the fruit of the spirit coming out of us in the way we interact with each other, we become a model community that attracts people from the nations to God. And just like Israel, We are to tell the nations about Jesus. That's why in Matthew 28, after his resurrection, his final commission to his followers, to the church, the great commission, we call it, or the great co-mission. Jesus says, it says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, of all ethnos, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In Luke, 
He tells his followers this way. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ or the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. And on the third day, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all, to all nations, to all ethnos, beginning at Jerusalem. And then his last words on earth before his ascension to his church in Acts 1.8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and to the ends of the earth. His final words before he left. Final words. So we are to be a model community to the nations. We are to tell the nations about him. And then finally, now Israel was called to be a conduit for the Messiah, but the Messiah came. He came, did his mission, he's ascended. So we're not called to be a conduit. But what we are called, um, indwelt by his spirit, is we are called to manifest or to embody Jesus to a watching world. Um, as he ascended to the right hand and he sent his spirit, we are now called in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, the body of Christ, that we now represent Jesus to the world. Jesus had all these amazing gifts to heal, to speak, to serve with his hands, to walk with his feet, to all the things that he did. And now we're a body where we're told that each of us individually is given a gift that would exhibit Jesus. And then as a body together, we show and manifest and embody Jesus as a church to Emporia and to the world. That's why in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul said together, you as a community, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you individually, you are a part of that body. And in 1 Peter 4, 10, 11, he says that each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. We've all been given a gift because we're part of that body. And he says, be good servants of God's various gifts of grace so that in everything God will be praised through Jesus Christ. So as we are the body of Christ, as we are the hands and feet of Jesus in Emporia around the world, God is the one who gets praised through that. So we are to manifest or to embody him um, to the nations. And all of this, all of this is so that the nations would turn to him. That's the end game. So, the big question is this, is will there be mission fulfillment? Will there be mission fulfillment? Will God's purpose of gathering himself people from every nation to create a covenant community, people who love and worship him, will it become a reality? And to find out, we've got to follow that nation's thread all the way to the book of Revelation to the very end. And so in Revelation 15, 24, 15, 2 to 4. John says, I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given to them by God and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations, King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy, all nations, all ethnos will, they will come and worship before you. Isn't that powerful? All nations will come and worship before you. In Revelation 7, 9, and 10, he gives us this vision. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every, every ethnos, every tribe, every people, every language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. 
And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then we get to the very end of Revelation, the last two chapters. And speaking of the new earth and the new city of God descending to that earth of the new creation, here's what John wrote. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The who? The nations, the ethnos, will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations, the ethnos, will be brought into it. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the the nations, the ethnos. Do you see how this thread of the nations starts in Genesis, goes all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through Jesus, through the epistles, into Revelation at the end, where God finally has people from every nation who are worshiping him and who are there. It's, it's such a powerful story to me. I, I just love, um, I love that story. I left off the next sentence of this verse. Right after this, where it says the nations, the next sentence is, no longer will there be any curse. Does that sound familiar? That goes back to Genesis 3. It's God like tying a bow on this whole thing. The curse is done. People from every nation are here. And now eternity begins on this new creation. I just, I think the whole thing is is beautiful. So let me me stick on this passage just a minute. Um, Because this text says two very interesting things to me. Number one, that the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into new creation. And that the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Not of individuals, but of the nations. And I've thought about, actually for a long time about this. And this, thing, this idea that the nations are going to bring, bring their glory and their honor in the new creation. Here's what I think that means. I think that all the things that make a culture or a nation glorious. It's food, it's architecture, it's dress. All the things about it. The beauty of it, the glory of a nation will be brought into those places. So I think we'll be chowing down on Korean bulgogi. And tamales, and I'm not talking about tamale, I mean, I'm talking about from Mexico tamales, if you haven't had them down there. Indian bread naan or Chinese dumplings, like, that's part of the glory of the nations. Uh, Things like the German bureaucs I grew up on in Hayes, Kansas are going to be there. And I think even Chicago-style pizza definitely will be there from this nation. And of course, Mountain Dew has to be there, right? That's part of the glory of the American nation is Mountain Dew. By the way, when I was looking for a picture of Mountain Dew, did you know that in Australia they actually created a brand, a bag of Doritos that tasted like Mountain Dew? Yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, who would ever, so this definitely will not be a new creation. The glory of the nations, that the people will bring in like their dress and the beauty the, the picture on the bottom middle is the Ka Indians, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. How the, the glory of the nations, what's their glory? I think it's like their architecture. You know, we start in a garden in Genesis. We ended a city in Revelation. And so like the architecture of the nations, that's part of, to me, the glory of the nations. Some dude in Toronto built this building. I don't think that will be a new creation. That thing, that's an ugly building. 
Uh, so the glory of the nations, we're told, will be there. But not only that, the, in that place, because of the, the leaves of the tree of life, there will be the healing of the nations. So what's that mean? And I think I have an idea. Um, throughout history, various ethnic groups, ethnos, have ceased to exist virtually, I mean, have disappeared or virtually ceased to exist. Take, for example, the Kansa or the Ka people. Our great state of Kansas is named after them, the people of the south wind. You felt that south wind yesterday, didn't you? The Ka people. This is William Mahoja. He was the last full-blooded Ka. The last full-blooded Ka. He died April 23rd of 2000. There's no more full-blooded Ka, full-blooded Ka alive on the earth. In his last interview before he died, he said, the reality of being the last full blood to me is sad and it's lonely. The last cause speaker, Walter Kakaba, died in 1983. And when he died, the call language died with him. Still have recordings, still have written things, but nobody can speak it fluently anymore. Before Johnny McCauley died, in 1997, he was the second to the last full-blooded Kaw Indian, lived in Wichita. He said this, I know my people died of diseases and starvation, but I will always believe they really died of a broken heart. Of a broken heart. But you know what? In new creation, there will be people from the Kaw tribe who have, he has brought into relationship with him and who will live there forever and ever and they will be healed as a people in the new creation, and they will bring their glory into it. And to me, that is a, that's just an awesome picture, that in the new creation, there will be people from every ethnos, every tribe, every language, reigning with him, um, worshiping him in their own language, because the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Isn't that really beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? I think that's so amazing. So, will there be mission fulfillment? Will God's purpose of gathering to himself a covenant community from all nations become a reality? We know from Revelation the answer is yes. And all that's to the praise of his glory. Can, you know, we're, we're a pretty quiet congregation. Like, can we give applause to God knowing how this is going to end and what he's going to do? That he will reach people from every tribe, from every language, from every nation. And I'm telling you, he's, Jesus said the gates of hell will not be able to stand against his church in this mission with him. Doesn't mean we're perfect. We'll have our good days and bad days, but the gates of hell will not stand. So let's leave no doubt about it. God is on a mission. His purpose is nothing less than the restoration of the totality of his creation back to its original design. And the centerpiece of his restoration is his mission of gathering to himself people from every nation in order to create a covenant community of individuals who love and who worship him. Uh, I want to get off the off-ramp now with this final thought from Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1.5, he says this. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. He spoke this a long time ago, 500, 600 years before Jesus. But I think there's still truth. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I'm going to do things. He is still doing things that we would not believe even if he told us. So if you remember last week, the Richardsons were here, and he talked about how he had a ministry in Pakistan and then got kicked out of Pakistan into India, working with Muslims in both, and then got kicked out of there and is back here. Part, part, pastoring a church part-time near Abilene, 
The rest of his time, he's online working with Muslims who respond to television programs and other things, entering into dialogue. And he talked about that God is moving among the Muslim peoples of the world. How he used to talk, have a few conversations, you know, in his neighborhood, and now he can talk with tens of thousands of Muslims online. We saw this with international students the last six or seven years. There was a change happening, and we could tell God was at work among the Muslim people. Let me just speak for a minute about the nation of Iran. When Pat and I were in Bible college, we had a missions professor who had just left a few years earlier from Iran, had gotten kicked out during the revolution, Ken Lyles. And he had been there for 13 years, and now he's teaching missions. And he told us that when he left Iran, he had zero converts. Zero. Most everybody who was kicked off the field during the revolution in Iran, the missionaries, almost all of them had zero converts. Nothing to show for it, so to speak, right? It had been a hard country for centuries. Robert Bruce, a Scottish missionary to Iranian Muslims, wrote in the late 1800s to his supporters, I am not reaping the harvest. I scarcely claim to be sowing the seed. I'm hardly plowing the soil, but I am gathering out the stones. That too is missionary work. Let it be supported by loving sympathy and fervent prayer. When the revolution happened and all the missionaries left, there were only 500 known Iranian believers in the whole country, only 500. In 2005, it was estimated to be 40,000. In 2010, the number was up to 175,000. And just this summer, it was reported, and not even by a missions agency, but an an organization that's tied with the United Nations or something, who estimated that they have now topped over a million believers in Iran, over a million believers in Iran now. More Iranians have come to Jesus in the last 20 years than in the previous 1,300 years of the history of the church. God is at work in the nations, and he's doing things that if we knew what he was doing, we would be utterly amazed, and we get to be a part of that. And let me add this. Don't be afraid of your Muslim neighbors. Befriend them, love them, be the hands and feet of Jesus to them, and if you have the opportunity, share the good news with them. So church, God is gathering to himself people from every nation in order to create a covenant community of individuals who love and worship him. He is doing this. This is his mission. That's why we have all the flags up here all the time because we're on mission with him. But my question for you individually is this. Just two questions I want to end with. Something I want you to ask yourself. Am I aligned with God's heart for the nations? Am I personally aligned with it? Do I have the heart for the nations that God has? Do I have that passion or no? And if I don't, I need to start doing things to stir that. In the gift bags that we have that we're encouraging everybody to take one home, all the families get one, there is a missionary biography in here. My wife, I said last week, read dozens of these to our kids. There's nothing that will stir your heart for the nations to hear stories of people who live there and who worked among the nations. Do I pray for those working among the nations. That's why part of our response in the response card is having just one of our missionaries that you will get their prayer letter and you will pray for them on a regular basis. Am I praying, giving prayer energy to the nations? And is my pocketbook fitting, my pocketbook, my wallet, my checkbook, even though nobody does that anymore, 
Does it align with God's call to the nations, his desire to reach all nations? Do I give? And that's why part of our response, if you're new to 12, we have faith promise, and we're going to ask you in two weeks to commit an amount of money that you will give in reaching the nations. Do I welcome the nations? Um, we don't have any here, but first service, we have a lady from Ghana that's here, Matilda. God's bringing the nations here. Am I a person that welcomes the nations that come? Mobilizing for the nations, the missions committee. We always have people rotating off that team. We're needing new people. We're wanting new blood all the time. Maybe God wants to call you to be a part of that team. And then there's going. God is always calling people, every generation, to go to the nations. And maybe, who knows, somebody here. We have a rich history of sending people from 12. Who knows, maybe somebody here, God's starting to nudge you to perhaps think about going. Am I aligned with God's mission to the nations, and am I obedient to it? It's just a matter of obedience. That's the reality. I'm either obeying Him in this or I'm not. And so my challenge, especially as we enter into next week with Ken Shackelford, is that we pray and we think a lot about God's heart for the missions that we're asking even this week. Am I aligned? Am I obedient to His heart on this? And then next week, we're going to you know, end by having you know, the response card. So really want you to be praying about that. So would you stand with me? Would you stand? I love this thread. Thanks for going on this journey with me through the Bible. Let's pray. Father, the Lord of all nations, one who's on mission to reach nations, we want to be a community of people who are in alignment with you not just as a church as a whole, but we individually are aligned with you, that our passion is for the nations, that our service, our prayer, our, our, our checkbook, that, that everything about us is in alignment in helping the nations hear about you. We want to be obedient to you. And so make us that kind of a community. We have new people that are here that haven't been at 12th before since last year, who maybe this is all a new thing, but you, we just long to be on mission with you. So help call all of us to do the things that you want us to do. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for all people in the whole world. We pray in his name. Amen. And as always, 12th, the mission field is right outside those doors, right? So you are sent. <laughs>